Welcome, you are listening to Desperate Acts of Capitalism, a podcast about money, marketing, and how it all goes wrong. Join us on a very spooky journey through a wonderland of burning money and ghosts and goblins. And stuff. And snakes. I'm Evan Swope. And I'm C.T. Kelly. And today, we have an extra spooky Halloween Ah! episode. We have an extra spooky Halloween episode. Ah! Ah! All right. In 1873, a candle maker named William Proctor and a soap maker named James Gamble got together to found the Proctor and Gamble Company. Okay. P&G specializes in a wide range of personal health and hygiene products. They have a hand in everything from beauty, grooming, health care, fabric, home care, baby, feminine, and family care. Before the sales of Pringles to Kellogg's, its product portfolio also included foods, snacks, and beverages. Oh, wow. Candlemaker William Proctor, born in England, and soapmaker James Gamble, born in Ireland, both emigrated from the United Kingdom. They both initially settled in Cincinnati, Ohio, and met when they married sisters Olivia and Elizabeth Norris. So they're in-laws. Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Alexander Norris, their then-father-in-law, persuaded them both to become business partners, and in 1837, Proctor and Gamble was created. Hooray! Fifteen years later, in 1859, sales reached a million dollars, the equivalent of over $31 million today. Wow. By that point, about 80 employees worked for Procter & Gamble. Their success was in part due to during the American Civil War, the company won contracts to supply the Union Army with soap and candles. So, big break for them. Contracting. Yeah. Only good business, unfortunately. Hmm. I wonder if that'll come up in any future episodes. No. It will. It won't. This is the last person. These are the last people who ever made money off of contracting with the United States military. Yeah. It's over. It's done. Yeah. It started and ended with soap. (laughs) We need some soap and then we should be good. (laughs) No guarantee. In addition to the increased profits experienced during the war, the military contracts introduced soldiers from all over the country to Procter & Gamble products. Mm. By 1850... Procter and, Graham, Procter and Gamble's first logo was created. Dock workers would mark crates of P&G products with a crude star, around which they would draw a circle. The company liked it, and they added to it. They created a circular brand featuring a man's face on the moon, uh, looking in wonder at 13 stars that represented the 13 original American colonies. Take a look. Oh, wow. It's a very elegant logo. Yeah. In the 1880s, Procter and Gamble began to market a new product, an inexpensive soap that floated. Huh? Yeah. Before then, soap didn't float. So what kind of soap was this? Like, how, how was soap? Like, was this like bar soap? I don't know the actual chemistry behind it, but the company called it ivory soap. Mm. Yeah. So okay. there you go. Fun fact. Yeah. William Arnett Proctor, William Proctor's grandson, began a profit-sharing program for the company's workforce in 1887. So, by giving workers a stake in the company, he correctly assumed that they would be less likely to go on strike. Imagine that. Yeah. So it turns out, uh, turns out, uh, collective ownership actually is beneficial for all parties involved. Not true. No. 
You will pry this company's ownership from my cold, dead, clammy hands, you no, no, peasants. No. The workers will hate that. <laughs> no, no, you you don't want this responsibility. <laughs> I'm doing this for you. The company began to build factories in other locations in the United States because the demand for products had outgrown the capacity of their Cincinnati facilities, mm. which for, for 1887 America, that's pretty big. Yeah, business is booming. Mm-hmm. The company's leaders began to diversify its products. As well, in 1911, it began producing Crisco, a shortening made of vegetable oils rather than animal fats. Mm -hmm. As radio became more popular in the 1920s and 30s, the company sponsored a number of radio programs. Nice. Numerous new products and brand names were introduced over time. The Procter & Gamble uh, brand began reaching out into new areas. The company introduced Tide laundry detergent in 1946. Delicious. And, <laughs> and Prell shampoo in 1947. Okay. Equally delicious. <laughs> A garnish, if you yes. would. Wash wash down those pods. <laughs> with some Prell. It's the problem with these millennials. They have no flavor palette. We're so relevant with our Tide Pod jokes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 2018 called it once its joke back. That wasn't even that funny to begin with. I still find it really funny. <laughs> Just like eating a Tide Pod. (laughs) (laughs) Not to like make fun of millennials or anything, just like the concept of eating a Tide Pod. Yeah. It is pretty like inherently entertaining of like eating something that you shouldn't eat. Like almost like mischievously. (laughs) Right. You can't stop me. (laughs) Hoo-hoo. You're going to go eat another Tide Pod. Watch out. Oh, that scam weapon. Eating laundry detergent. If, if I'm quiet in the other room, you know something's wrong. <laughs> Has anyone seen the... Evan? <laughs> oh god, he's under the sink. <laughs> it's cut to me taking a shower and I go to pick up my my lovely trusted bottle of Prell. And I pick it up and my, my hand jerks up like I was expecting it to be more full. I go, Evan! <laughs> Did you drink all the Prell? <laughs> Whoops. We're darn firm. By 1955, Procter & Gamble began selling the first toothpaste to contain fluoride, known as Crest. Ah, I'm more of a Colgate guy myself. Oh, get out. <laughs> Leave. Branching out once again in 1957, the company produced Charmin paper mills and began manufacturing toilet paper and other tissue paper products. Nice. Essential. <laughs> nice. <laughs> oh, cool, boy. Cool, bro. You got toilet paper? Sick. <laughs> Nice, bro. I'm ballin'. Rad. Yo, dude, come check it out. Chad's got toilet paper. <laughs> Will I am smart house is so advanced. He has toilet paper. <laughs> Finally, I don't have to use the acid bidet anymore. <laughs> ah, fuck! It works, but it hurts. <laughs> Trademark. <laughs> you can purchase your DAOC brand acid bidet now. It works, but it hurts. <laughs> Painful, but effective. (laughs) Once again focusing on laundry, Procter & Gamble began making downy fabric softener in 1960. Jeez. And bounce fabric softener, uh, fabric softener sheets in 1972. A lot of iconic products. Cornering this market. Yeah. Their only competitor at this point was actually Johnson & Johnson, and they Mm. were fairly new. From 1957 to 1968, Procter & Gamble owned Clorox, the leading American manufacturer of liquid bleach. However, the Federal Trade Commission uh, challenged the acquisition, and the U.S. Supreme Court decided against P&G in April of 1967. Interesting. Mm-hmm. 
One of the most revolutionary products to come out of the market was the company's disposable Pampers diaper, okay. the first test marketed in 1961. The same year, Procter & Gamble came out with, the head and with Head & Shoulders. Prior to this point, disposable diapers were not popular, although Johnson & Johnson had developed a product called Chux, with an X. <laughs> it was P&G who popularized the product. Okay. Sup, dudes, you want some chucks with an think, X? like, what, what type of product jucks sounds like. No, chucks. C-H-U-X. Chucks. chucks. What would that be? Like, I know it's diapers, but, like, it doesn't sound like, like a name of a diaper. Right. Like, if you came up to me on the street and asked me if I wanted some chucks, I wouldn't... Diaper would not even be in the top ten. Yeah, it sounds like something having to do with, like, cigarettes and or meat. Or shoes, maybe. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Who knows? Diaper does not, like... Just shows to go you the power of a good brand name. Right. This brings us to 1969. America, nay the world, is reeling from the erratic and ritualistic murders committed by the Manson family. That same year, Anton LaVey published the Satanic Bible. For those who have never read LaVey's Satanic Bible, it is basically just Ayn Rand but goth. In 1971, The Exorcist was published and sold over 13 million copies. Two years later, The Exorcist film was released to cinemas across the nation. The hearts and minds of Americans everywhere were now in the Cossetian grip of Satan himself. In 1972, a book by the title of The Satanic Cellar was published. It recalls an orphaned childhood steeped in satanic worship. It details the author's time as a satanic high priest, with all the ritualistic sex magic, orgies, illicit drugs, and demonic summonings it supposedly entailed. The book itself was a carnival of uncorroborated horseshit that details a vast network of satanic worshippers hiding in plain sight in every American neighborhood. The book was a bestseller, yeah. and was later followed up with a live album called Alive which recorded his conversion to Christianity. The book would later be entirely discredited, but not for over 20 years. What did that album, just reading the book, or is he just, like, talking? It's sort of like him talking. Mm. Evangelism was on the rise. For many Americans, the devil was more than a fable. He was a very real, very present danger, and he was only growing more present by the day. Many, many books which painted a similar picture of America followed in the footsteps of the satanic seller. These included everything from witches serving in the American Navy to the routine consumption of human skin to a large satanic church in Thousand Oaks, California. I'm glad these theories have gone away. Yeah. In, in 2020, I'm glad no one believes in ritualistic uh, satanic hmm. uh, consumption of child flesh. Yeah. Good thing this is done. <laughs> Strangely, many of these stories all came from Southern California all around the area where the Manson family had committed their murders. So that's like, is that like L.A.? Yeah, pretty much. Mm. It's like L.A., but like out east near Idlewild. Mm. Witches and Satan were something that good Christians had to be educated on. Oh, yeah. Anti-witch classes were a common sight among evangelicals in Southern California, including a traveling witchmobile, which sought to spread information about the dangers of the occult. <laughs> Does it have, like, a giant, like, witch hat on yeah. it? Like, a, one of those, like, silly cars? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like Those yeah. giant vans with, like, those, like, uh, novelty things on them, like, like those exterminator guys? Right, right. No, it's like those old, uh... Those old Hanna-Barbera wacky races cartoons yeah. where the car is just a big witch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you honk the horn and it goes, <laughs> It's really annoying. <laughs> that's, how they, that's how they teach you how annoying witches yeah. are. They just honk the horn a bunch. 
you don't want any more of this. This is just a car. Imagine how annoying a real witch would be. Right. If they were not a car. <laughs> not limited to four wheels. Do not be fooled. Real witches are not cars. Yeah. Everyone in the audience goes, Oh, <laughs> I thought witches were cars. On account of this witch being a car. Yeah. No, this isn't a car. This is a witch. Why does it look like a witch then? Shut up! <laughs> I'm trying to save your immortal soul. Additionally, 1970s L.A. was infested with serial killers, oh, yeah. something the media did not handle well. <laughs> really? But worry not! The rising Christian fundamentalist right wing was here to save you from Satan. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Was this... I know Ronald Reagan was the governor of California? Uh, he was He was the governor earlier than that. He was like the governor in the 70s. But it's like close to this time because I know he was a big evangel like he was like a face of the whole like evangelical thing. He was, but this is a little this is like a little after Reagan. Like Reagan was basically their figurehead during like the rise. Right. But like once it sort of settled into a part of American culture, like we're well into the 80s now. Yeah. Like e evangelism has already figured itself out and it's here to stay. Got it. I believe we're on Bush senior now. So that's like the later 80s? Yeah, the later 80s. In 1980, Jim Peters was working as a music director for a Christian life center in St. Paul, Minnesota. Paul was from a family of anti-rock crusaders who regularly held record burnings with his brothers Dan and Steve. The group gained notoriety for their seminars on the dangers of rock and roll music and their documentary, The Truth About Rock. And it's like super, like my dad like participated in this shit. Like yeah, he, yeah. He, like, most people I know's parents like were involved to some degree in, in this some kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They became the go-to guys whenever the local media needed to talk about Satanism. They made regular appearances on programs like Nightline, Entertainment Tonight, and The Seven Hundred Club. Our readers, our listeners, may not know those, but those are like the sort of trashy daytime TV, like yeah. the communists are in your sock drawer and there's <laughs> murderers everywhere. Like, yeah. Your kids are doing. Your kids are figuring out how to do new drugs by inventing them in your basement. That yeah, sort of thing. exactly. The Peters brothers' argument against rock included things like "Kiss" stands for "Kids in Service to Satan," <laughs> which that'd be super cool if it was. Yeah, but couldn't they just like find that out? Right? Like, couldn't they just ask like well, Gene no. Simmons or something? Well, no. This is the 1980s. Like they don't have the internet. Like you. Yeah. The biggest, the largest source of information you have is the local library. In the 1980s, a rumor was started that Procter & Gamble was owned by Reverend uh, Sue Young Moon and his Unification Church. The UPI said, quote, The rumor apparently mushroomed from the Lakeview Nursing Home. Okay. Larry Schultz, the administrator of the nursing home, said that the story submitted by a, a staff member was published in the nursing home newspaper. <laughs> The article's proof that P&G was owned by the Unification Church was that the company's logo was a crescent moon. This was taken to the logical conclusion that Moon and his followers owned the company. Word. It's like that's just like straight QAnon logic. Yeah, like, nothing like has changed. Full on, straight up QAnon logic. Yeah, and it only gets worse from here, right. my friend. <laughs> Word then spread from the nursing home to the general population of Minnesota. Talk of a boycott spread through the state. It became such a problem that the company felt it had to respond. A spokesperson said that they were, quote, not owned by anyone associated with Reverend Moon, and that the Moon was just part of an old trademark from about a hundred years ago, and that, quote, some of the company thought the Moon logo was actually pretty silly, 
All of this meant that the Procter & Gamble company was in the local news where Jim Peters lived. Within the week, Minnesotans were assured that Moon and his followers did not own the company. Jim Peters, however, was sure that there was something more sinister afoot. Oh, great. Quote, Since publication of that article last Friday, several people have called and written the Tribune to say that they have it on good authority that the Procter & Gamble symbol is actually a satanic symbol. And that the very same symbol is on the doors of a a satanic church right here in Minneapolis, or St. Paul. They aren't sure. A caller to the paper said he got the information from people in his church who attended a meeting on the evils of rock and roll music. Good authority. The Tribune learned that there had been a rally of over 1,100 people and that every church in town had advertised it, and that this is where these people heard about the satanic connection to Procter & Gamble. Hmm. Quote, the man who linked the symbol of Satanism was Jim Peters. Hmm. When questioned, Jim acknowledged it, saying it was his great theory. Quote, Peters said he is primarily interested in stamping out the evils of rock and roll, and that he devotes only two or three minutes of each music seminar to Procter and Gamble. This is just a side gig for him. I guess. Jim Peters was upset that P&G sponsored TV programs that contained sex and profanity. So... He looked into the company and said that the exact drawing of the logo was also found in a book called, quote, Amulets and Superstitions, saying it was the symbol of a coven of witches from the 13th century. I own this book. <laughs> witches are only mentioned 12 times. Ten of those citations are for the Witch of Endor. The word coven does not appear. The Tribune reported that two staff members found and looked through the book and did not find the symbol. Upon returning to Jim, he said that he had also seen the symbol in a book at the library, but that he couldn't remember which one. It was, it was one of those books, you know, in the Yeah, library. don't worry. Anyway, they're Satanists. Yeah. You believe me, right? Jim then said that a local bookstore had the symbol above its doorway, and said that the store was owned by, quote, the number two in command of white witchcraft. Okay. Yeah, I guess you could just say that. There's nobody <laughs> stopping you. The Tribune investigated and reported that the symbol was a plain crescent moon with no face and was framed by a rectangle, a symbol commonly used in almanacs. The owner said that he was not associated at all with witchcraft. I love the specificity of the number two in charge of white witchcraft. And it's like, wait, Jim, who's number one? (laughs) What is your distinction between black and white witchcraft? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if there's a lot of heavy research going into these things. You know... Upon returning to Jim, Jim said that he had sent no less than three letters to P&G, demanding that they... Three? (laughs) Now, two would be reasonable, but three, Jim... He's serious. That's pushing it. (laughs) He had sent no less than three letters to P&G, demanding that they explain their corporate symbol. And each time, he had received but form letters, (laughs) explaining what the symbol meant. Form letters, Evan! He was sad that they didn't personalize the message. He was expecting something handwritten with perfume. And teardrops. (laughs) And a wax seal. When reached for question, a P&G spokesperson told the Tribune, quote, We can't do anything about these rumors. People will believe what they want to. I mean, again, like, what has changed? Right. This is literally just, like, 1980s Pizzagate. (laughs) Exactly. And, like, these companies just, like, I I listened to an interview with um, the founders of Wayfair, and there Mm. there was a huge conspiracy with Wayfair, like, putting, like, trafficked children inside their furniture. Right. And, like, they were were just, like, they said almost the exact same thing about the conspiracy theories. Like, what the fuck are we going to do? Like, people are going to believe this. We can't stop them. Like, 
what are we going to do? Once once we uh, get into the, the juicier bits of this story, we're going to see what you can do about that. Okay. The year was 1980. America was in peak satanic panic. On October of 1981, on the West Coast, calls began flooding in to Procter & Gamble's offices. People are boycotting Procter & Gamble for their Satanist connections. P&G get over 2,000 calls a month. People are furious. They were very upset that the president of Procter & Gamble had gone out onto the Phil Donahue show and said, quote, come out of the closet with his support for the Church of Satan. The president went on to say that, quote, a large portion of the profits from Procter & Gamble products goes to the support of the Church of Satan, at which point Phil Donahue asked whether or not his ties to the Satanic Church would hurt the business. His response was, quote, there are not enough Christians in the U.S. to make a difference. He also said that the logo was, quote, indeed satanic. People started telling their friends about this episode of Donahue. However, turns out, literally none of this had ever happened. Additionally, it was pointed out that the curls in the beard on the logo formed the numbers 666, and that the stars in the logo could be connected to form another set of 666. Now you're starting to convince me. Yeah, you're really winning me over with all of this. The, stuff. the beard curls, of course. Of course, the we missed the beard curls the first time. That's where people hide the most sinister things. Of course, their beards. that's always that's the source of the Satanism is the beard. <laughs> P and G realized they had a PR nightmare on their hands. They reached out to the media for help, contacting nearly every news station on the West Coast. It had absolutely no effect. Okay. And likely only bolstered the rumors. <laughs> Because now you're just giving it attention. The fact that they're trying to defend themselves is proof that they're guilty. Right. That is the logic of these people. Calls began coming in from the Midwest, the majority in Indiana. The rumor was causing significant damage to P&G profits. Some store managers would even instruct customers about what had happened on the Phil Donahue show and give the customers time to put the product back. So if they brought up, like... P&G product, they'd say, hey, did you hear what happened on the Phil Donahue show? If you want to put that back, I'll let you, I'll let you keep your place in line. <laughs> the Interior Journal of Sanford, Kentucky, contacted 50 people who had reportedly seen the Phil Donahue episode. Not a single one had actually seen it, but, quote, knew someone who did. Again, like, like you said, like this, now you could just, like, look at the clip. Right, right. It, it just, would be on the internet. Yeah, but, like, now it's, like, it's so weird that, like, these TV interviews could happen, but you have no way to, like, save them. Right. So it's just, like... You have to take people's word for it. Exactly. Like, I saw it, or uh, I didn't see it, but my cousin saw it, and he right. said that, you know... And why would somebody lie about that happening? Right. Like, if it didn't happen, then why would they say that? Exactly. Additionally, the Phil Donahue show was also denying the rumors, but it did little to staunch the flow of over 300 phone calls a day. At one point... Calling into the show would prompt callers with a message that said, quote, If you are calling about Procter & Gamble, press 6 now. Pressing 6 would leave you with a message from Phil Donahue saying, The president of Procter & Gamble has never appeared on this show. If your friends and family say that they have seen this, they are quite mistaken. This also did nothing to staunch the rumor. Over June and July of 1982, Procter & Gamble received over 15 thousand phone calls and letters from people who had seen leaflets addressed to, quote, all Christians, who told them of this lurid tale. Some even said that another representative of P&G had appeared on the Merv Griffin show. 
You can just say anything, I you, guess. You can just fucking say anything. It's like, uh, yeah, the guy from Procter & Gamble was on all the TV shows, and he was, like, stabbing and raping and killing people, and I saw it with my own eyes. Yeah. And like, I guess you're right. There's no reason that you would lie about this, so it definitely happened. Yeah. Let's go harass people over the phone about it. Procter & Gamble held news conferences. A senior vice president explained the logo's origin, that no representative of the company had ever appeared on these shows, and that there was no connection to Satanism. Procter & Gamble asked religious leaders to tell their followers these rumors were untrue. This did nothing to staunch the flow of the rumors. So P&G hired private investigators to find out who was spreading the rumors. They learned that somebody was sending thousands of mimeographed letters to thousands of California addresses regarding the devil worship, but they could not determine who was doing this. One of the major sources of this rumors was a weatherman in Atlanta. His name was Guy Sharp, and he had been given a flyer and simply continued to repeat the charges to groups he encountered in Atlanta, including that Procter & Gamble gave a 10% tithe to the Church of Satan. Every lawsuit was settled out of court, with the condition that the subjects had to publicly state that the rumors were untrue. A statement that Guy Sharp made on the Atlanta Evening News. So he said that the rooms were untrue on his, like, weather spot. Yeah. So imagine not knowing anything about this and just seeing your local weatherman be like, by the way, Procter & Gamble are not Satan worshippers. Okay, cool. The efforts from P&G did pay off in some places for a time, but it seems like the rumors would only resurface a month later. 1985 saw another major flare-up in New York. P&G held a news conference. In March of 1985, the company received over 5,600 calls about their satanic activity, 60% of which were from the New York area. By way of response, P&G set up a toll-free number to deal with the calls. Two detective agencies were hired to find out about the rumors. One of these agencies was the Pinkertons. The Archdiocese of New York sent letters to their constituent churches about the dangers of this false rumor. Surprisingly, none of these lawsuits seemed to have been for Jim Peters, who even in 1985 was still at it. He's determined. He's now written five letters. <laughs> I've been busy these past five years. Each more strongly worded than the last. One man from the area said, quote, These three brothers from the Christian Life Center came to speak at my boys and tell them to burn their rock music albums. They showed a slide of the Procter & Gamble logo and said it was the same as the Church of Satan's. So Procter & Gamble eventually gave in and changed their logo. They changed the logo for their products, however, and left the old logo on their buildings, stationery, and internal awards. This made Christians even more angry. Of course. As now it seemed like P&G had something to hide. Yeah. Wait a second. You guys have something to hide. If you look at this internal P&G award, it still has the Satan logo on it. I've done research, man. <laughs> Unlike you, suckered in by the fake news media. Right, the... God. I go to alternative websites. <laughs> Which don't exist yet. Yeah. Actually, the internet sort of existed at this point, but you'd be like, I read about this on GeoCities. Yeah. In April of 1986, South Dakota Attorney General issued a press release to state media reminding them that no executives at Procter & Gamble had sold their soul to the devil. <laughs> We have checked with Satan. We have asked the devil's bondsmen. Uh, they do not have current ownership of any executive currently involved with Procter & Gamble. We have hired several witches to consult with Lord Paimon. They have confirmed that no souls associated with Procter & Gamble are associated with the satanic armed forces. It seemed like Procter & Gamble 
was just going to have to live with this. I guess. The rumors flared up again in 1991, when the Maryland Post ran a story about Christians in the area distributing flyers for a P&G boycott on specific products due to their satanic leanings. It was the same flyer distributed in 1980, although the date for the Donahue show was changed to March 1st of 1991. You just, like, send flyers to people and be like, this is true! It's, but it's the same fucking flyer! They're just, yeah. like, they're, they're just pasting over the date. It's like, actually, it happened here. Which means that whoever is doing this is doing it completely cynically. Like, yeah. they do not believe any of this shit. Right, exactly. The program that actually aired that day on the Phil Donahue show was titled, quote, How to Cheat on Your Spouse and Not Get Caught. Ashley Madison. Yay! Callbacks. <laughs> By this point, P&G had filed 14 libel lawsuits against people spreading the rumor. In March of 1991, a lawsuit uh, was filed against James and Linda Newton of Kansas, which earned P&G $75,000 in damages and prohibited them from distributing information that tied P&G to Satanism. That's good, I guess. Turns out both of them were Amway salespeople. At the time, Amway had a voice messaging system that salespeople used to communicate with each other. Turns out James and Linda were using it to tell people that P&G supported Satan. Just using whatever channels they can get their hands on to just, like, spread this insane message. It's it's sort of like an early version of, like, a spam, like, a, a yeah. spam email thing. Like, they have this, if you sign up with them, they have the ability to just, like, shotgun blast messages to whoever. Right. This was the center of, first, a number of lawsuits regarding Amway. Amway themselves have been known to undertake aggressive sales tactics to boost profits. Aren't they a pyramid scheme? Yes. <laughs> Amway is a direct competitor to P&G. <laughs> Interesting. The rumors returned again in 1995. When questioned, a P&G spokesperson responded with the tone of somebody who has <laughs> been to this rodeo before, saying, It's poppycock! A lie! A ridiculous lie! <laughs> oh, the, the, the mid-90s when people still use terms like poppycock and hogwash. <laughs> Balderdash! <laughs> Hooey! <laughs> The olden days. In July of 1995, P&G announced that they were completely retiring the logo. It's now just the letters P and G. Yeah. The company said, this move had, quote, nothing to do with Satan. <laughs> it's just a friendlier, more modern, more global look. A likely story, yeah. Mr. Proctor and Gamble. That's what Satanists would say. That's what Satan would say. However, once again, it was uncovered that Amway was using their voice messaging system to tell customers that P&G was worshipping the devil. I was literally about to ask, like, there has to be some sort of financial incentive for somebody. Hmm. But it's like, oh, there you go. P&G now believed that Amway is responsible for the current flare, and responded by filing more lawsuits. Amway responded by saying that they were also struggling to fight these rumors, and will fully cooperate with P&G to combat them. Uh-huh. Also, remember that weatherman in Atlanta? Yeah. He was also an Amway salesman. Great. However, P&G got their hands on an Amway voice message saying that they were in league with Satan. So they have like a voice message of Amway just admitting that they're doing this. Yeah. The case against Amway took a long, long time. It was thrown out once and reinstated in 2007, 12 years later. Jeez. 
This is now like a nearly 30-year ordeal. Mm -hmm. In 2007, P&G won a $19.25 million lawsuit against Amway distributors. A defendant said, quote, It's hard to imagine that they would pursue it this long. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe it's because you kept fucking doing it, you assholes. (laughs) Why are you guys so fucking mad about this? We're just telling everybody that you worship Satan. Like, we're just engaging in weird corporate blood libel against you. What's the fucking problem? Just chill out, man. Whatever. Why are you being such a girl about this? <laughs> thought you were cool. <laughs> just imagine, like, uh, these, like, giant corporations is just, like, <laughs> annoying, like, college students. <laughs> like, frat boys. Oh my! They're, it's like that's how they're acting. That's yeah. how these like I mean, because Amway does all these like third party distributors, but they all have the personalities of like weird frat kids. Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to imagine that they would pursue it this long, especially after all the retractions that we put out. We're stunned. It's like they have a gay crush on me or something. <laughs> what? What? Even after all these retractions, bro, we said that we're sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but you kept doing it. <laughs> the retractions don't mean anything if you keep saying that we worship Satan. Yeah, right. The same defendant admitted that he had forwarded the satanic accusations on the messaging system to thousands of customers, but later sent a retraction to those same customers. After those 1995 lawsuits, strangely enough, the rumors stopped. Okay. Gee... In 2013, the company brought a little bit more of of the Moonlight design into their logo. As of yet, it has not inspired a satanic panic. I mean, the the satanic panic people are too busy saying that Tom Hanks, you know, drinks out of children's adrenal glands and stuff. Right, right. They're too busy ranting about adrenochrome and saying that Hillary Clinton is murdering children in the basement of a CeCe's Pizza. Yeah, exactly. God, it's like, like I kept saying, it's like, this stuff has been around for so long. So long. And it's just like so funny that it's like, it's literally just a competing corporation. Right, right, but it's like... Because it works. You can very clearly, I mean, there's all these, it calls images of like, oh God, what if these corporations start accusing each other of blood libel? Which, one, would be really fun, but two... It's like that steps over the line into libel. Like yeah. now that you're now that you actually have like a profit motive from it, you right. can't, it's like this is very illegal for sure. And it bumps it up to like white collar crime that actually gets prosecuted. So you oh, can't yeah. do that. Yeah, because I mean, they're messing with the profit of another giant corporation. Like that's so you know, like that's dangerous territory. Which, if anything's going to really cripple QAnon, it's going to be some company finding out. Who is behind all of it? Like yeah. who's actually running all this shit and then suing them for libel? Exactly. Well, <laughs> it's a very spooky episode. Yeah, we got to involve the devil, yeah, the spookiest man of all. I know some other podcasts have done that, uh, have done that story, but I really wanted to tell it. Yeah, that was a that was a great story. I, I know nothing about it, so I mean, at, at least PNG has done enough uh, PR work that I don't know about the Satan. I'll still buy their shampoo or I whatever. Hope, I hope they can bring back their moon logo without without yeah. getting called Satanists again. Yeah, it's a much cooler logo than just PNG. Right. It's it's, like I get that through the name. Yeah. No. The uh, the the new logo is pretty lame. Yeah. Pa- and partially because it's not associated with Satan anymore. Yeah. Like Satan is cool. Yeah. You know, they, they cave to the anti-Satan people. Yeah. But it's okay. I get it. Which, like, I love that I love that evangelical Christians think Satanists are, like, the source of evil in America when most of them are just sort of, like, delightfully chubby goth libertarians. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, 
they're they're the most like they're not they're not dangerous people yeah like show me like one major act of like domestic terror or you know like anything right that's done in the name of satan yeah like show me one Maybe there's, like, one random thing here and there, but right. nothing that is, like, gonna actually, like, be genuinely dangerous. Compared to how many people who've, like, bombed or shot abortion clinics, like... Yeah, or just, like, random mass shootings from just, like, random dudes who right. get involved in, like, 4chan shit. 4chan so, shit, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Luckily, luckily, our our favorite soap manufacturer is safe from all of that. Yeah. For now. <laughs> For now. <laughs> 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 who knows? <laughs> Satan could be hiding around every corner. <laughs> There he is. <laughs> Just pushes me off my chair. Uh, hey, man. Satan. He does really mean things all the time. <laughs> but not, like, too mean. Yeah, just like, hey, man, that's, like, you would stop inviting him to things right. after a while. He's it's a like, moderate annoyance. It's, like, a little bit over the line. Like, at first it's funny, but then it's, he, like, he doesn't know where to stop. Right, right. He, like, breaks something that you kind of liked. Yeah. Like, it's oh, like, man, I liked that cup. Yeah, right. Why'd you chuck it against the wall? I'm Satan! <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's true. <laughs> I guess that's kind of your thing. <laughs> just being mean, just for the sake of it. Oh, gosh. Well, well, stay spooky. Have a delightfully wicked Halloween. Yes. You know, celebrate evil in its purest form. Go purchase some P&G soap for the devil. Yeah, exactly. All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. Whee! We love you. We love you. Big things are coming. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter at D-A-O-C-Cast, Instagram at Desperate Acts of Capitalism, and Tumblr at DesperateActsOfCapitalism.tumblr.com. And remember, next week's episode is up right this moment on our Patreon. Join us there for bonus content, including an entire second podcast, Business Desserts, where Evan and I talk about current business news and whatever we feel like talking about that week. And thank you so much for listening. We love you. Big things are coming.